0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Sydney Manassian. Sydney, how are you? I'm great, mate. How are you? Going really well. We met at the AFL recently, and uh, you thought everyone was cheering for you when they were cheering for Sydney, but uh, yeah. it turns out it was just the Swans, right? Yeah, it's a good feeling. Sydney
1: Kings games, Sydney Swans games, <laughs> and during the Sydney Olympics, I was the man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> now, There's so many different paths we can go on with you, Sydney. Do you prefer Sydney or Sid? Uh, I usually
1: introduce myself as, uh, Hi, I'm Sydney for the first time. And then after that, I always sign off with, It's Sid, or I'll call you and say, Ayn, it's Sid. So yeah, both, whatever works.
0: Let's run with that. There are so many different angles we can go with your story because it's quite diverse and so many different angles. But I want to start with the big stuff. And one of the things we were talking about when we met, we were just talking about business and a whole lot of different things. And and you reminded me before we jumped on is that that I was asking you a lot about that that moment for you, the big moment. So tell us a bit about that moment where everything changed in your life, where everything started falling apart and, and how that sort of played out for you. Sure.
1: So it uh, – well, the moment was um... – a big uh, business failure, uh, which resulted in a financial uh, wipeout personally, uh, left me with a bunch of debt, um, lost a house, uh, three kids, I was in the US, um, youngest one was uh, 30 days old, I had to let go of 20 people and shut down a business oh, in wow. Solution Valley, and then um, yeah, figure out how the hell do you bounce back from that, both mentally as well as financially and, and all of that good stuff. Uh, So that's the big moment. And the the lead up to that was, you know, my background is 20 plus years of doing different tech ventures in Australia and and, uh, a good five, six years in Silicon Valley. And uh, we'd, um, you know, come up with a concept, done some validation, generated some revenue from an initial product. uh, And then we had this grand vision for a next generation version of the product. And, you know, we, you know, I put a lot of money into it already to bankroll it to get it to the point that it was. Then we brought on external funding, both from private investors and then venture capitalists and packed up wife and kids, two kids at the time, moved to the US and to launch this business. And um, everything seemed great. You know, you've got the VC money, you've moved successfully. Uh, and there was a real um, wind behind our sales, if you like. Um, we launched at a, an event called Demo, um, which there's two big launch events in the US, TechCrunch and Demo, and um, we ended up winning the People's Choice Award, million-dollar prize, so lots of things where you're like, wow, this, this is really going, going well. And then from that point of, of getting all the attention and putting it out in media and you know, the showmanship and all that good stuff, Lots yeah. of interest from potential acquirers. So AOL Mail, Yahoo Mail, BlackBerry out of Canada, all these struggling companies that saw our innovation and thought this might save them, as well as your regular Salesforce, and, you know, so on. Um, and we went from that to the, you know, all of that interest to the, within the next 12 months, run out of money, product didn't really work the way we would intended it to work, internal conflict, between um the the founding team and we had a, had to call it a day you know so that's it
0: was there writing on the wall like did you see that it was coming and you like you knew that's that was the inevitable finish did you uh hope that it wouldn't were you in denial like how, what were those last weeks and months and or actually probably days like
1: yeah so um how far back do you want to go? <laughs> because because, of, right? yeah, because um, one of the takeaways I've, I've taken from that experience is um, look out for the false positives, whether it's in business or in life, and have the fight early. When there's a realignment that needs to happen between people, right whether it's a personal relationship, whether it's with your dad, or whether it's with your... Wife or husband or significant other partner, whatever that may be for you, or it's a business partnership or it's a team person, you know, a person in the team that's not working out. So, back to your point about were you in denial? Hell yeah, in denial for a long time. And you've got this, you know, and, and, and how do you justify that? Because on the one hand, I'm a, you know, optimistic, positive person just by DNA, genetics. On the one hand, it's like, well, I'm just being positive. On the other hand, am I kidding myself? And, and and am I and am I denying what's actually going on, and am I hoping that magically things will just fix without facing them, you know, head on? And what I now talk about is have the fight early if there's a fight yeah. to have, and and you know you might end up with a bloody nose, but you're avoiding brain hemorrh- hemorrhage, right?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So let's not go too far back because I want to. We'll come to that uh, as we go through the chat. So why was it? because when i asked you it was like was, was that the biggest thing that happened in your life was that was that the one and you said yeah absolutely like so why
1: well i think um, if you think about it from a, a ego perspective that's the biggest thing that ends up leveling you, on, you know, and and it was from a you know it was a, from a great height to then a complete drop and a wipeout and it was this Promise of I'm um, you know taking the family overseas you know we're pursuing something and we're going to come back and we're going to be better off financially and we're going to be better off you know let's say on how people um, think of us like from a you know um, what you're standing within the community you know um, you know could I have built another Atlassian you know could I have built another one of these companies that have succeeded right um, Culture Amp or whatever. And it wasn't that. It was yeah. We raised money, went and failed, and came back. So you know, it's leveling on the ego, um, and then it's also um, requires you to reevaluate everything. And so it's when you say why was it the biggest? It's because it. Um, you know, and I'm glad I took it as a gift to reevaluate lots of things. And I've been I've been really mindful and deliberate about constantly reevaluating. And now I. Challenge myself and everyone else to be reevaluating every day because life, yeah. you know, is, is is moves along. It's you know never the same.
0: Yeah. Um, you because you like, and we'll get to the fact that you do coaching as well because you are a coach. You're you're already seeing how this relates to the next part of the conversation. So I just want to come back to the actual event because what I know people take the most learning from. Is to be able to resonate with how people were feeling, like mentally, what was going on for them, how it impacted their relationships. So, can we get a window into what that's like to the depth that you're open to discussing? I know you said you're pretty happy to talk about most things. So, yes. what was the impact for you personally from that mental and emotional perspective?
1: Well, as a just in terms of personality, um, I guess I'm a Sort Of a protector of everybody in my sphere, whether it's my wife and kids, and then you know that's the core nucleus of who we are, and then outside of that, my immediate family. So, you've got my parents, my in laws, my brothers, um, you know, and at the time they weren't married, whatever they are now with kids. So I've got you know wonderful nieces and nephews, um, and then of course, there's you know the people that backed me, like the. You know, angel investors who just believed in me for so long and put money. And then there's the venture capital investors who you'd say, yeah, it's risk capital. This is what the business is. You know, two out of every ten you know investments for them, you they know statistically is going to be wiped out. You know, five will just return money, and then there'll be one or two you know unicorns that pay for the portfolio. But still, like you know, so there was that sense of responsibility that comes with this where you're saying, you know, what's the impact of the relationship? So for me, I'm a people person, like I've been pursuing ventures all this time, but I'm actually driven by people and relationships rather than chasing the dollar. And so therefore the kinds of things that I've always tried to do has not been necessarily the ones that make most money, but it's been, can I correct? the most value and the most impact. And yeah, sure. There's an element like recognizing who I am now. There's of course elements of ego involved and the ego is I created something that didn't exist and it was for good and it improved something. So I have learned of that about me. Um, But back to your question of the impact on the relationships well. Um, luckily, I've got an amazing wife who, who has stood by me and has been, you know, steadfast and solid. And she was like, well, you know, frankly, you got us into this. Now you get us out of this. So yeah, she was yeah. believing me that, yes, it's not the end for us. It was simply – so I, I wasn't as worried about them. And we had young kids, so the real focus was on the kids. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't know what was happening. So they didn't feel it. And even everything that happened – it wasn't like we were ever out, you know, thrown in the street. We've got to, you know, A, we were okay, but B, we had great support network around us with parents and whatever going, do you need help? And I'm like too proud. No, I don't want your help. I don't need your money. I don't need anything. So it was really looking after those people who were worried about me, uh, I think, right? So there was the element of that. And then there was the people that had backed me and, you know, how would, how do I, you know, continue to earn their trust and respect and, 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 these are wonderful people. I'll never forget the first guy that ever wrote me a check, and I'll call him out because he's worthy, Glenn Fielding, a Melbourne-based, um, uh, great Australian businessman. And um, after knowing him for a while, he'd been, you know, first I tried to sell him a product that we, we were selling at the time and he went, not interested. But I'm, yeah. I really like what you're doing. Keep in touch, son. I was like, all right. So every time I was in Melbourne, I'd, I'd go, Glenn, I'm in town. You know, do you want to grab a coffee? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd tell him, we've done this, we've done that, we've done that. And then eventually came time that we were actually fundraising. We'd actually figured out something really cool. And I had this amazing deck that I prepared to, to pitch to him. And uh, he just pushed it aside and he said, just tell me what do you want to do? And I said, well, you know, we, we believe there's some smarts that we can build in email that improve the lives of professionals. And we're, we're doing that. It's Great. Um, how much money do you need? We're raising half a mil. What can you put in? 50, 100? He's like, how's 100? Yep. Literally took out his checkbook. (laughs) And he goes, here is the money, but do not lose your family over this. It's only money.
0: Wow. That was
1: my first check that I ever got. And you go, wow. And it's not like he's got money to waste. No one has money to waste. But that real sense of understanding people and humans and whatever. So a little bit back, you know, why it ties into your question is I had these kinds of people that I was like, I can't just walk away from this. These people have not invested just their money, but they've given me their love, their soul. And I can't just go, well, it was a business transaction that didn't work out, right? So
0: invested in you.
1: they have invested in me, right? And, you know, um, Glenn ended up reinvesting in the next venture, which was the comeback story. But that's the kind of, people I've been blessed to have in my ecosystem, in uh, my
0: So was there an element of you, uh, was it guilt? Was it shame? Like what were you feeling about the fact that these people that had invested in you and then having to make that ultimate call to go, we we can't take this any further. We're done.
1: Look, um, all of the above. Yes, guilt, shame, disappointment, um, in, in how it happened, disappointment in myself. Um, and I could have, you know, and they were all very kind about it because this was right at the time of the GFC. So everyone went, everyone was saying, Sid, we can't believe how far you did push this. We can't believe yeah, right. that you did get follow-on funding. Oh, there was GFC, so the venture capital market was tied up so you couldn't get follow-on funding after your follow-on funding. And I was like, no, nah, that wasn't it. We just screwed up. We self imploded I was found a CEO. I could have done better. I didn't, right? And and so, yeah, so, so therefore, it was that honest conversation with them. And it was also that sense of, yeah, I, I, I screwed up. But I didn't, so I owned it. But then I also recognized that in the big scheme of things, um, I will bounce back. I will continue to be loving and, and and caring towards them and the people that have been around me. So I had still faith in me. So it wasn't like I was done. And Oh my God, I can't recover from this. It was like, I've had a, you know, a significant screw up uh, and I feel responsible and I feel bad, but I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to get on with the next thing.
0: Okay. And what sort of timeframe are we talking about? So, the moment when you realize we have to finish this up, like was it the then having to check your ego and admit defeat? Was it the moment where you basically the last day you all say goodbye? Was it the things that were left unsaid because like it sounds like there was a big chunk of stuff that was outside of your control that, that contributed to this as well. So what, like, what was the time frame? There must have been some grieving process through that. And, and how long were you able to, like, before you were able to go, well, I just need to get on with it now?
1: Yeah, so, look, there was, I'm going to say a good 10 months worth of us trying to throw everything we could to save the company. Let's call yep. it that, right? Yep. Um, and it was right at the time of, you know, GFC had hit. We were in the U.S., Capital market had dried up. We'd raised, um, you know, over five, six mil. And so when the next round of investors look at you, they say, great concept. I can see why you're passionate about this. I can see when you show traction and that this is good going off, come back to us, we'll invest. But the problem was our product had not quite found product market fit. The concept was great. We made it a great attempt, but we hadn't nailed it. And so, of course, we didn't have the traction to show and we'd already taken on too much money and didn't show enough results for it. So we were trying all sorts of things. You know, we ended up, I, you know, we brought out um, product management specialists. We brought a U.S.-based CEO. So I stepped down from the CEO role into a, you know, a chief evangelist sort of role. We, we, we tried. So there was a period of we were trying lots of things. But what ultimately resulted was me speaking to the board and saying and they probably would have invested more money the existing investors but it was me knowing you know what we are this is not going to go anywhere because we have other issues we have founder issues i was having issues with my co-founder um the product seemed like you know it was never going to resurrect we would need to almost restart and so there was this grieving process so trying to understand your question yeah, there were months of us trying all sorts of things, but you know that you're now throwing everything at it and then, okay, you've tried. You've tried doing everything you can to save it, but you're better off calling it you know, quits, putting a line in the sand and a- allowing everyone to go and reinvent, restart, redo what they got to do. Um,
0: was there a moment? So that,
1: that was sort of a timing thing, I guess, building yeah. on, onto that. But then there was that critical moment. My son was born um, in October, 10th uh, of the 10th of the 10th and then I specifically remember 30 days later was when we shut down the company and then the impact of that was you know I was in the US my visa was connected to the company which meant we had 10 days to leave the country with a 30 day old kid and you know I've just lost everything
0: <laughs> mm.
1: so I've lost the company I've lost my job effectively so I'm no longer CEO Chief, Chief of Evangelist liaison whatever but yeah. um, and uh, I'm in um, the most expensive part of the US, uh, Palo Alto, at the time. Uh, so I'm paying four grand a month rent. Plus now I'm on my own, which means not through the company, which means I now have to pay two grand a month health insurance. So that's six grand a month, uh, you know, after tax, before anything. Let alone, you know, what what's happening outside of that, like car and yeah. you know yeah. and being expensive or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that that was sort of the lead-up. So there was a lead-up, but then there was this moment of, I'm going to put food on the table. And so I don't have time to dwell, right? And so, yeah.
0: So was the your child being born the moment or was there an actual moment where like, was it you're in a meeting and suddenly you're like, or was it like when you're away from work where suddenly it just dawned on you that this is just, this is not going to work no matter what we do?
1: Yeah. So a month or month out from when my son was like a couple, the last couple of months before we shut down, like there was intense company activity, board activity, where everyone, you know, we're trying to throw different things at it. But then it was that moment of, you know, there's an element, there is one more element of truth that I've been holding back. I just need to have it out with my co-founder. I need to have it out with my board right and just say look this is the way i see it and we're done like we're done we're done right uh, and for these reasons we're done and and let me give you the clarity of why this is the case and it's you know it's all basically being able to say we failed and so we can keep playing you know cover up and games and putting more lipstick on the pig as such but i don't want to do that i don't want to do that because i'm just delaying the pain. so one you know mm-hmm. so let's not let's not do that so there was that point where i went yep i've got to have this conversation, had the conversation, um, and then we went into again different scenarios, different possibilities, and then all together, board agreed yep, this is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so then there was the what you try to do is you have a what is it called? A uh, orderly shutdown. So you pay everyone what you owe them. So you don't wait until you've completely run out out of money. You pay everyone what you owe them. Yeah. So all the employees, no one else other than uh, investors and us as investors and co-founders were impacted. You know, everyone else that needed to get paid, everyone, all the team, they got looked after. And that's doing the things at the right time, right? So you're not completely run out of money and then leaving enough money in the bank to do the orderly shutdown from the tax perspective and legals and everything so that, you know, it didn't affect people.
0: Integrity. Yeah. I,
1: I, yes. I, I, you know, and, and, you know, I, I struggle with, I, I struggle with saying that yes, absolutely. Because, you know, my point was there was a little element of truth that I was still holding back. And I, and my lesson now is speak up early, have the fight early, the transparency will always save you right and so
0: yeah yeah, yeah. So, so you so
1: we, we can always you know integrity again it's um contextual and and there's yes. <laughs> So, yeah yeah uh,
0: you, you mentioned you were disappointed in yourself was that the element you were disappointed is because you should have acted sooner or was it in the moment like yeah you tell me like what would tell me yeah, more about so, the disappointment so,
1: so absolutely, absolutely um, I'd lost my own authenticity because authenticity for me in the way I describe it is what you're thinking and feeling on the inside is what you're saying and portraying on the outside at that point in time. And people change. So people say, oh, be be authentic, be you. Well, I mean, what the hell is that? And happy to go deeper on that with you. Um, but back to that authenticity point, all along, there was things that I knew in my gut that I was not comfortable with, but I kept giving... Uh, less value to my values and more value to, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe this is the way to play the game. Maybe these other people know better than me, right? Rather than going, no, 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 no. Like now it's either going to happen this way or it's not going to happen. Not with me anyway. And it doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. It means I'm right for me. And that's where I've got real super clarity on in, in the way I've sort of approached it from that point onward. So, yeah. So, um, I should have um, walked away earlier or spoken up earlier, but not let it get to where it got to. And that's where yeah, I it. It. That's where I <clears throat> it.
0: I got a sense of uh, frustration or maybe even deeper anger around, you mentioned that that promise to your family. Now, I, I'm going to guess here that uh, you mentioned, the, you know, your immigrant family family. Um, that's not a big part of your story, but it is a significant part. I imagine that community pays a big part of that for, for your family from what you, we have talked about. So yeah. was the, that, the, the, the frustration around that promise to family, was it the bigger promise? Like immediate family, yes. But is it that bigger, you know, like there's a certain pride and, and probably internal competition, but also like it's a honoring the name. Of, of our family and
1: sure, so um, no internal competition as such. Um, in terms of, I'm the eldest of three, so so my brothers continue to, you know, they've both done really well for themselves, very successful, but they continue to respect me and look up to me. And to this day, they come to me for guidance, and advice, whatever. So um, there's no there, there was no rivalry like that, but that uh, especially for let's say the parents and the in laws and the and, and and the broader community, well, yeah, you know you know, we we came to this country for for the betterment of the kids and, you know, Sid has taken an alternative path because I didn't do the traditional just go to uni, just do it. I did uni part-time, got I failed, I got thrown out, I went back in because I was always more interested in entrepreneurial things and things that I felt like are going to be different and make an impact rather than following everyone's normal footsteps. So, you know, to be able to say, okay, we did something and then, and then we succeeded, would have been good from that, yeah, you know, the, the parents feeling, you know, yeah. uh, proud and, you know, because you have this dependency, right, but you grow up sort of wanting to please, right, and so that's hard-coded, that that was uh, built yeah. in, so and then there's the them being proud, but then also knowing them going, worrying too much, oh my god, what's going to happen, Sid, you've lost, you know, the, the mm. business and What's going to happen with you? It's like nothing's going to happen. Everything's fine. We will, <laughs> we'll get on with it. But things yeah. always. I keep saying, Mum, things always work out. Remember, because <laughs> yes, a blessing that you always say that. So it's it was those kinds of things where you know um, that, that that was uh, yes, of course, plays on your mind at the time, and, and you hmm. um, care about it.
0: Yeah, I, I get a really strong sense that you, you're you're so certain within yourself around these things, but it's that deep care for the most important people in your world that actually gives you the most most of the challenges around that.
1: It used to, but it doesn't anymore. Yeah, good. So one of the things that I've sort of um, learnt and helped pass on is you can literally only take care of yourself. You can't take care of anyone else, and all of their worries is not me. It's actually their own situations, insecurities, shortcomings, fears, that they're now using my story as a reason to, you know, get hooked on the pain, get hooked on the sadness, get hooked on the, um, the, you know, whatever it is that, you know, uh, that they have to do, worrying. So, yes, I I used to think, oh, it's my responsibility, whatever. And that's why at the time, but now, not that I don't care, I care. Care enough to know that the sooner I make this your responsibility, whether you're my child, you're my parent, you're my spouse, you're my employee, you're my business partner, you're my customer, this is not me walking away from the things that I'm responsible for, but how you feel and how you think is absolutely your responsibility, right? And how you interpret situations, absolutely your responsibility. So, yes, I used to sort of take it on and, and think it was my I was responsible, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible for how they interpret things, especially when it's me not doing anything directly towards them to affect them, insult them, humiliate them or anything. It's me living my life, having a crack, you know, on something that's positive and it hasn't worked out. Okay. You know.
0: Try something else.
1: Try something else. Exactly. (laughs)
0: Love it. You mentioned before authenticity. So what did you learn through that process about, being authentic, and what was the lesson that it gave you?
1: Uh, so self-awareness, uh, you, you, you try to just keep peeling the layers off the onion, right, and go, right, this is who I am. This is what really drives me. This is what I really care about. And, yes, I'm very flexible and accommodating, but these, these things I'm uh, these things matter to me. There's certain things that matter to you, right? Whatever they are. And I, and so back to the authenticity is that you want to make sure that you're in alignment with your own beliefs and your character at that point in time. And think people change, scenarios change. But yes. whatever scenario you're in, you want to make sure that you are in alignment with that. So, um, you know, there's an alignment check all the time that sort of now happens. Um that, that I say, am I am, am I aligned to my bigger purpose? Am I aligned to my character? Am I aligned to the things that I am calling values at the moment? And is there and then in terms of lessons taken away, I already spoke about the have the fight early, but then talking about you know trying to build values led and and deliberate culture rather than um, letting it happen accidentally. Um, and making sure you double down on that um, rather than saying, well, yeah, everyone has have culture or there is culture in the business or whatever. And I took those lessons and in my next venture, which was my comeback story, Contexty, um, I, I, I was so um, disciplined and focused about it. So we used to, you know, it was a big data company and we used to go, on, you know, we ended up working with Channel 7 during the Real Olympic Games, Caltechs, SAI Global, Woolworths, big brands, 100 plus big enterprise customers, which... And I built that into a good multi-million-dollar eighty percent annuity business before um, getting acquired. And but in that, when we used to go and pitch big data analytics AI, we would never start talking about either those customers that we already had or those uh, capabilities we had. We always used to start with, "Here are the company values we want to share with you in a customer pitch or in a partner Excellent. pitch," and we yeah. used to start with that. And every one of my team members, irrespective of their role, was able to start with that and articulate that and follow that through in the deck. So I codified that in the company culture. And I was very also clear, if this doesn't work for you, it's okay. You don't have to be here. I'll help you find another role. But if we're here, here are the values that we want to abide by. And that was me taking what I thought I'd done in a weak way in the previous failed venture, and I was codifying it in a harder way in... The new venture. Um, so that was that was one thing, and then also being able to differentiate between um, false positives and real positives. Because you know, when you're a positive, optimistic person like me, yes, everything you might say looks positive and great, and there's goodness in everything. But it's okay to say, yeah, that's good, but for what we need, it actually won't move the needle in terms of a person's capability. Or, you know, you're a lovely person, you're very capable, but you're not there where we need you now. Or um, this customer behavior or this prospect behavior is nice, but it still doesn't prove to me there's product market fit, which is where most companies will fail, right? They never land that product market fit. There's this semi-success, and that's that semi-success that kills businesses. It's not the failure. It's the semi-success that makes you go, yeah, I'm not going to kill it and Try something else. I'll just keep hoping that next month, next week, next six months, next year, it will improve, right? And so, yeah, a whole bunch of lessons that came away from that.
0: Mm. And one of the things I've picked up around your language is you've said, well, this is my belief. This is how I'm talking about it at this moment. So from the lessons you've learned, it sounds like you've got a real sense of how, everything's continually changing and evolving and you need to be able to move with it whether it's industries whether it's the business or just your own personal journey so tell us a little bit about that how you've become this ability to be so agile yes from a business perspective but but personally and and how would you help or how do you help other people to have that same ability
1: mm. so there's a couple of things there one is um, I always start everything with, uh, I own it 100%. Like whatever's happened, I own it. So whatever, um, because it's empowering to own a situation rather than being the victim or this happened to me. Okay, so that, I I was, look, and and again, like there are some things that I was always preconditioned for. Like I was the guy that at the age of 16, 17 was reading Tony Robbins books and, You know, at the age of 19, I convinced dad to give me 700 bucks to go to the unleash the fire, uh, unleash the power within and walk on the fire. And to this day, he says, You know, I'll cook you an Armenian barbecue in the backyard. You can walk on that fire. Why did you have to take my 700 bucks and pay someone to walk on someone else's fire? Right. So we still joke about that. So, yes, I've always been, you know, preconditioned, if you like, where I've liked the concept of always being positive. But there's, there's depths to that where it's like, no, 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 I'm going to own it. And there's difference to just going, you know, um, so, something happened to me or someone else's fault, but I'm, that's okay. Versus no, 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 no. I'm 100% responsible for my life. Whatever's happened, it's me. So that's the uh, first thing. Secondly, it's, um, it was an experience that I had. It is not me. So while I, on the one hand, I've taken responsibility. On the other hand, um, it's an experience that I've had. That's just part of my journey, and I'm proud to wear the battle scar now. That's okay. So that doesn't define who I am. And in both my coaching and you know, I've I've done some sort of courses that I've created to sort of break this down to try to help others understand it. I talk about the concept of being you, and I say what's you know, you know, being you is uh, I'm, I'm I'm doing a play on words because my argument is. There is your being, which is your soul, and you're born with it. From the second you're born, you know, you know, you know. When you think back, you go, oh, I still feel like the child that I was. That's your soul. This is my interpretation. Who knows if I'm right or wrong? But this is the way I, I define the universe at the moment. Yeah. That's the being, and that is non-changing. That's static, right? So you know, and that that's going to be with you forever. But the you, when we say you know, be you, or well, what does that mean? Because I'm not the same guy from you know. 10 years ago 20 years ago I'm not the same guy from 10 days ago you and I are not going to be the same people after this conversation for a number of reasons you know this conversation will have sparked ideas and change in both of us Um, right now while we've shut down everything else and we're not listening to the outside world maybe there's a world event happening that's going to change the trajectory of us and life and so on so the you is constantly changing and you realise the you is constantly changing and so when you realize the you is constantly changing, well, what if you're mindful and deliberate about the next version of the you that you're creating, right? And how about, you know, and what does it take for that you to move towards more, towards it's extraordinary. You're extraordinary, not an extraordinary, because who knows what an extraordinary is, but there certainly is a version of me that's an extraordinary version where I've got flow and I'm in my zone of genius and all that good stuff. And there is there are many versions that, I'm not that. So, you know, what do I do with, with those things? So, um, so yeah, firstly, I own it. Secondly, recognize that it's an experience and it, it's not the you, and you still have an option on um, who the you is, and then you can move into doing some design of the you. And so, when, when I made reference to at that point in time and things evolving, you know, one of the things that I work both, again, with um, my team or when I do talks, whatever, I'm trying to explain this concept of what creates impact, because we all want to say, oh, the work I do is impactful, okay? Well, what is impact? And how do you how do you think about impact? Because, it, you know, usually people often think it's just a function that they do. You know, I, I code, I sell, I market, I create art, okay? But my definition is to create real impact where you've moved the needle, it's, um, People centricity plus context or multiplied by context awareness multiplied by the function that you do creates impact. So understanding people and uh, what drives you know people because people are constantly evolving and so are you as the person doing the work. Context, because as I said, right now, there could be a world event. You know, interest rates go up, interest rates come down, wars happen, markets change. So... What is the context in which this work that you're going to do? Right, so it's people that you're working with, the context in which you're doing it, and the, then the function. And here's the thing: people are constantly evolving, and con- context is always changing. So it's constant work, and it's constant awareness that this is how you become adaptable to create the impact. Anyway, mm. I've gone off Love the tangent for you.
0: No, no, that's good, and 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 I and I love how it's all like you systemized like even that side of things, the learning from yourself and how you be able to pass it on to other people. I, I'm endlessly curious about people's sources of motivation. So, what drives a sixteen-year-old to want to go and see Tony Robbins? Like, what what were you experiencing then as a teenager that had you looking for something more? Like, were you going through challenging moments at school? Like, was it um, with friends? Was it family? Like, what what was sort of going on that led you down that path?
1: Mm. So um, when I landed in Australia, I was four and a half. I was called Sydney. And uh, you could imagine... You can't speak English, you start kindergarten, you name Sydney, yeah, you're the target of a fair bit of bullying and, and so on. So, my stories in that way started with uh, bullied. And then I was also doing martial arts at the time, you know, as a six year old doing karate lessons. So, I would stand up for myself and, you know, be not, not worry about kicking someone in the shins or punching them in the gut if I, you know, they were bullying me. Right. Yeah. Um, and at one stage, I, I recall having this moment where I was going, I'm the most hated kid in all of U1 or kindergarten, or whenever it was, right? At like, age. Yeah, I, I, had this, I had this awareness that every, you know, like everyone, like I'm the, yeah, everyone, everyone's like, you know, um, no one's getting on with me. So, and then the, I felt like there was a decision point at that time. And it's so crazy when I think back at that age, how did I have this? awareness but anyway I had this awareness where I went this can't continue like this like I have to take I have to take control of this and I probably articulated better now right having thought about it but I went from that point to when I was in year six I was selected school vice captain by my peers and then heading into year seven went to a school where there was a lot of school pride and you know we were the first cohort as year seveners that the peer support programs kicked in. So I distinctly remember they came and said, right, out of the seven cohort, you know, how many kids there were, 300 kids, who wants to do a presentation to the at the school assembly about their experience with peer support? And, of course, first-hand that shoots up is me. Um, and then from then on, I did become a peer support leader. I was in the debating team. I did the Duke of Edinburgh Award, got my gold all the way through. Um, I was in the school, you know, different – council, steering committee, school prefect. So back to the story of how do I land on Tony Robbins? I always had this thing that I'm going to be a leader. And I like the concept of helping others. I like the concept of coaching, leading, you know. And when I saw that he had a certain language and a mindset and this, you know, uh, great way of talking about things, I was like, yeah, I can, I can buy into that. <laughs> now, I've not mellowed, I've balanced out some of that um, great American rah that, that, that <laughs> yeah. I've learned from him and others, as well as, over time, really interested in Muji and Sadhguru and some of the Eastern philosophy about life and wisdom and balance and, and all of that. And, and then I'm trying to create my universe, whether it's firstly for me, then it's the people who – I have the privilege of serving, whether it's my kids, my wife, my company, my you know the, the the people that I coach. And so, back to your question, how did I land that? It was never like oh, I'm I'm struggling, i on the. It was exactly opposite. I saw something that I was like, wow, imagine standing up and being able to influence ten thousand people in a live arena. That's awesome. So it was it was a lot of that that drove it.
0: Fantastic. And you might say uh, at that age, it was like, no, it was at the opposite. It was from a good place, but you had to go through those early struggles to get to that point of like stepping into that leadership space and, and across those those shorts. A little transformational moment in your life in, in kindergarten, age one. Uh, massive.
1: That's right. Yes. Yeah. And it's only when you look back, the you know, it all makes sense. Or you can, you know, as Steve Jobs would say, right? When you look back, yes. you can you can connect the dots.
0: Join the dots. Yeah, I, yeah,
1: join the dots. So, yeah, yeah it, it made more sense to me later on when I thought about it. At the time, I I was just, I guess, maybe listening to my gut, listening to my wisdom, listening to the extraordinary version of me at the time that was navigating me, guiding me, right? Mm. And 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 trusted that I went with it rather than followed someone else's advice on something.
0: Love it. You uh, you mentioned there, like the Steve Jobs speech, uh, I think it was Stanford address. One of the things he talks about is like, you can't join the dots, join Lincoln, you can only join the dots looking back. So looking forward, you have to put faith in something, whether it's, uh, what does he say, the cal- karma, life. Uh, the universe whatever it is you have to put faith in something and you described how that that's kind of how you sell things to your mum right everything will work out so how do you what's tell me about your faith and then how you are able to really promote that for other people to to have that faith and then trust in the faith
1: yep yeah, so and i'm glad you're using the word faith and the universe i think so you know, ethnically Armenian, you know, we're the first Christians of the world and such a big part of our identity and whatever. But over the years, I'm, I'm I can clearly say I'm not religious at all. Uh, but I have a massive amount of faith that um, there's stuff that we still don't understand about the universe. And yeah. um, there is um, something sort of uh, not magical in the sense that it's, um, you know, I'm going to sit there, close my eyes, and I'm going to grow taller, or all of a sudden hair's going to grow on the top of my head, which I've lost, or or I'm going to make money. Not not, not magical like that, but in terms of that, there is this source power in the universe that we still haven't learned how to tap. So I absolutely believe in that, and believe that we've all got um, real capabilities, um, real wisdom, real insights, and we just need to learn how to harness that. So I'm trying every day to. To understand me better and be able to tap into what I know. Um, but it, it's interesting because with my kids, for example, I keep saying to them, and as I, as they've grown up, that you know, your superhero, the person that you look up to, the person that you believe in. Um, you know, I don't I don't sort of talk to them about religion, uh, but I don't even make refer to God or anything like that. I actually say to them, um, the person that you should really look up to is the extraordinary version of you. Love it. Right. And uh, and not your dad, not your mom, not, you know, Batman, but the best version of Dylan, Jaden, Talia. Like they are the people that's going to give you the best answers in life. And, but you got to work at it. it you got to nurture them. You got to put the right inputs in there. So if you're not doing the right things by your mental well being, physical well being, spiritual well being, you're not a, you're extraordinary and you will get the wrong result. And, and, and I'm still okay with that because if life kicks your ass, I'm happy for you. That's what you need to um, adjust and grow in life. So that's also okay. I'm not going to be that worrisome type parent. Um, but uh, yeah, so my back to the broader faith. Yeah, absolutely believe that um, we're well looked after. I, I believe there's abundance. I believe there's goodness out there. I also believe things happen for a reason that sometimes we just don't understand right now. That doesn't stop me from taking a swing. So I won't sit back and go, well, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen because I'm sitting down. No, I'll absolutely go for it. Um, but in the mind, you know, there's a lot of manifestation that you can also do that positions you and everything else. And then you go, is this voodoo? Is this magic? Is this rubbish? People can call it what they want; it's their their choice. But yeah, yeah. I feel like more and more I'm living my authentic self and the life that I deserve because I've designed it and gone after it. So mm. that's the crazy—that's the craziness I currently believe in. So with ten years time. I love it. it,
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, it's amazing whether you call it religious, spiritual, uh, trust in the universe, whatever. That the principles are still the same, right? and uh, we can apply them. And and I like how um, Dr. Joe Dispenza looks at it from a scientific perspective. It's the same thing, but he says there's part of, like well, we bring in like billions of bits per second, but there's a part of our brain that actually can process it, and it can only process in the tens of thousands. So mm. just give that part of your brain something to focus on, knowing having faith that that part of your brain will find the solutions to whatever clear parameters you've given it go ahead and let it do it but you have to have that clarity right on the vision so you have, to have that
1: clarity without the unclutter of what if it doesn't work what what or what about the failures what you know is this real am i deserving blah 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 blah, blah. all this uh, rubbish that we you know or, or people have told me this is not possible right yeah um, so if, you, if and again like it's it's takes a bit of articulation to articulate between when someone's being delusional <laughs> to when you know they're going after something in an aligned way with complete belief that it will work out. And yeah. when I say aligned ways, because you know um, if you don't have alignment in you know, because I consider and go, yeah, I want to you know be a triathlete, you know, I want to do the Iron Man, okay, but I don't, I'm not exercising, I'm not. I'm eating burgers and beers every night. That's not going to get me there, clearly. So there's misalignment. So I can speak positively and believe that. So there's delusionment in that, right? So yeah, yeah. we have to differentiate that because I think sometimes these conversations get misinterpreted. And you see this little clip on, you know, TikTok or something. You go, you know, everyone said just think positive and everything will work out. Well, it's not quite that. It's yeah. start with cl- clarity of thought and cleanliness, hygiene of thought. But then, you know, massive action alignment. Testing, revising, and, 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 and going at it again.
0: Yeah, spot on. Abraham Hicks calls it the resistance, like That's either right. being the state of allowing or resistance. And I like the analogy that uh, the metaphor that they use is the um, you have this engine pulling in one direction of what you want, that engine of desire. You're the carriage, but then what you do is that you bring in the resistance, which is another engine pulling in the opposite direction. So you create more desire and you put more power on what you want, and then you create more resistance. So how do you help people to see that they can let go of that resistance? Because you said the the phrase to your mom, everything will work out. Now, that's easy for someone like you who's got that faith and that you have that ability just to go, yeah, well, it's going to work out. But how would you – like if you put your coaching hat on for a minute, how do you then help people – to let go of that resistance, to clear their mind of all that clutter, which we all face at different times so that they can be in that state of allowing things to unfold.
1: Yep. So firstly, uh, my wife, Trudy, will love the fact you brought up Abraham Hicks because she's a huge fan. So yeah, Awesome. Uh, yeah, that's good. Um, getting rid of the clutter. So – we spoke about the concept of the extraordinary version of you, right? And, and uh, the way I sort of help people see this through, think about it is I say, um, well, we've already spoken about the benefits of the extraordinary version of you. The question is, why aren't we there? Like what's stopping us? And I talk about there's three blocks that stop us from getting there. The mirror, the whistle and the compass. So and then hopefully these little, um, you know, uh, triggers remind people to catch themselves when when this is happening. So the mirror is all of our self-talk and it's running. There's there's a dialogue that's running every day from the minute you wake up, it starts running about your identity, who you are, who you're not, what you're capable of, what you're not. Um, And it, it could be everything that, that, that you know, so for me, it could be, oh, I came to this country as an immigrant, I was teased as a kid, I was a bad asthmatic, you know, um, I got thrown out of uni, uh, shamed the family, lost the house, lost the business, lost the investment. I could, I could make that my constant story. Or I could decide as that daily thing, yeah, I was the kid that was teased for my name and I figured out at that age how to turn around and end up being school vice captain by the end of year six. I wasn't asthmatic, but I actually participated in every sport I could, including basketball, and I'm a short (laughs) ass. I was was a basketball team captain because I could talk and coordinate people. Um, So um, I can have that narrative running. I, I did successfully raise a ton of money that others are struggling to do. I did successfully hire some amazing people in the US that people would kill to have hired, right? I did, and then I did have a comeback story, and I've got a wonderful family, and I've been a great... I could have that story running, but that mirror is firstly, every day people have to see what story is running in their brain and it's self-created. So it takes work. You have to be mindful and deliberate about that story. So sit down, write the story that you want to remind yourself daily, right? And read that morning and read that on in the evenings until that becomes the standard story that is on autopilot. The second block, the whistle, is outside noise, right other people's thoughts and opinions about you your life how you should be doing things and for some crazy reason we treat it as authority like we give it so much importance um and usually the problem is it starts with home with your parents your parents having an opinion about what you should do as a career and who you should marry and what religion you should believe in and and then speaking of religion it's your whatever religion you believe in whether you've got a church or a mosque or whatever it is what they're putting onto you as the way you should live your life. And then, you know, um, if you're part of the educational um, ecosystem, university saying this is what is worthy of a PhD or some title, all the way to today, TikTok, Instagram, where we're constantly judging (laughs) ourselves by other people's thoughts, standards and objectives. And then we're wondering why we feel shit. And so that's the second block stopping us from getting to the extraordinary. So again, what do you need to do? You need to catch yourself if there's stuff that's the whistle. If it's an old conversation with your dad, with your mom, with your, you know, significant other that is just not adding value to your life, learn to recognize it and then learn to lovingly just ignore it. Yep. And so there's no point in creating hate or animosity. It's simply like, oh, you know what? It's okay. You don't know me and you don't know the best, what's best for me. Um, and then finally, the compass is the misalignment to your true north. So what you're thinking and feeling on the inside, you're not portraying and pursuing on the outside. And, what, and how does that play out in real life? Well, you've probably got, got a job that's well paying, but at a company that's eating, you're killing your soul, right? But you've yeah. got this mortgage because you took it because of the whistle and the mirror. You had to have the house and the second car and the holidays and the clothes and shoes that you really can't afford or don't really need because that's not really, you know, you know you've know you just decided that needs to be part of your identity. It's actually nothing other than ego and societal expectation. But you're now stuck in a rut. You have to do that job because there's mortgage payments to make and, and so on. So misalignment, not doing work, not doing the... The, not having the conversations you need to, not having the job that you need should be having, that's the compass. So back to helping people, being able to believe that things are worked out and uh, everything's going to work out, you've got to address these three things, mirror, whistle, compass. And um, it's constant. And, 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 you know, mostly whatever people throw at me, I can fit into one of these three categories and go, hmm, that's a compass problem. Mm, that's a mirror problem. Ah, oh, that's a whistle problem. It, it fits. Mm. And, and let, let's see how you can create an antidote to, to that.
0: So you've got your own built-in self-reflection device to have that awareness and then to be able to change on the run. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And usually
1: after people hear me give that example, they, they sometimes people drop me a note. Sid, I caught out a, a, a whistle situation. There was a conversation with my boss or my parents. Often it's parents that have left a lot of scars on their their, their kids without realizing it, right. Uh, thinking, they're, well, thinking, thinking they're doing good. Uh, and, and, and there's, a, and so again, you know, of course my, you know, every next generation has to screw up their kids less. And so my course. kids are probably going to find things that I'm doing that are not right. But I've really tried to be mindful and deliberate about being their, you know, coach and being a leader. So there's difference about saying, I'm not just your mate, like do whatever. And, you know, you know, no, I'm I'm, I'm I with my wife. We're leaders of the house. We set the values and frameworks just like you do in a company. But really, I want to be a consultant and a coach and give them space to fail uh, yes. without trying to push my beliefs, my ways. Like when we talk about Trudy and I will talk about Abraham Hicks, and the kids will roll their eyes, and, and it's okay. They're, they're not ready for that. They won't understand. Maybe they never will. Maybe we're delusional. It's okay. That's not my point to prove anything. Yeah. Um, so, it's that giving that space where it's very different to the way we grew up, right? Here is your religion, here's the culture, here is whatever. And yeah, it has benefits and it has downsides. So, it, it's.
0: You nailed it. The, the giving them space and letting them make the choice and oh, the rolling of the eyes like <laughs> five times a day. Uh, yes. But on the other hand, like when they choose to adopt something that they've witnessed you doing, like, that gives so much pride because you're like I didn't have to control them into doing that they've made a choice because they feel like however I'm being they actually think they can get benefit from that so I love how you describe and that's authentic
1: when we we value that way more than you were being compliant because of my ego needs and there's massive difference right so there was a pull rather than a push which is the same thing around leadership which is the same thing around sales like you want to pull You want customers to be attracted to you rather than you would force them. We had a tactic, we had a close, we had a winning line. You know, people are over that.
0: Yeah, 100%. You want them to select and make the choice, not be manipulated into something they're only going to resent later anyway. Mm. Spot on. Now, we haven't even got to Sassian yet. (laughs) So now that we've had the conversation, it seems really a great lead in seeing how you described some of your upbringing. So tell us a little bit about Sassian and why you're so passionate about it and why you're so in alignment with this brand.
1: Yeah. So um, Sassian's a um, online student safety company. We have an AI powered software as a service SaaS solution that we deploy into schools, um, specifically in K 12, kindergarten through to years 12. And uh, really, the mission of the company is to enable schools to ensure the online safety of the kids, of their students. And as you know, um, know, using technology is part of the way we now learn. Um, It's part of the way we now socialize. It's part of the way we play. And it's a very important part. But of course, along with, like everything else in the world, there's lots of harm that can happen there. And it is another, in a way, it's almost like another playground. Right, and so that duty of care that we have in the schoolyard to, you know, make sure that a kid's not running towards another kid with a stick and going to poke them in the eye and make them go blind. Well, the internet has these kinds of uh, things that we have to, you know, as society, let alone as a school and or as a parent or as a government, yeah. as society we have to be responsible for. So, Assassin's mission is to use cutting-edge AI, cloud technology. Um, uh, to give enable the schools to look after the well-being of their students. So our product sits in the schools and helps to identify and alert and intervene against cyberbullying, self-harm, suicide, threats of violence. And more recently, in the last couple of months, we've also announced um, integrations where we're also helping to identify image-based abuse, which is also known as revenge porn. And uh, in fact, in the last week, we also announced a um, online grooming alert. So being able to understand if there's an adult trying to groom a kid, you know, um, get them to wow. keep a secret, send a photo, um, keep, you know, not say something to a parent or pressuring them to, um, you know, search up things that are sexual in nature or or whatever. So Sassin was one of the companies um, that uh, I'd been uh, coaching for, for a while and, you know, the founder, um, Greg Margosian, um, who's now my business partner, fantastic guy, really committed um, to building great world-class product and um, also something that's so mission-driven, right? So it's very easy to get behind a business like this. So the opportunity came up for me to step into um, a CEO role to help push this further both across Australia and we're now expanding into overseas markets. Um, Today we've got 400,000 students, 660 schools around Australia. We've got a few schools now uh, signing up from New Zealand and we've started running some trials in the US market. Um, Awesome. And we've got a good mix of government, non-government schools, including um, we've got all of South Australia public sector uh, done a deal at the state level. And so that's a six-year deal that, that... you know, and we'll probably renew that. You know, we've, we've done so far so good and have got really great support by um, the leadership uh, for the Department of Education there and, and and so on. And we can see other states that will be coming on board and, and, and so on. So fantastic, fantastic vision, great product. Product yeah. works. We've got really great customer base. Um, you know, these are And and they all care. They all really care about the kids. You know, we're dealing with teachers, well-being counsellors, and the school IT folk that we work with, well, clearly they're IT folk, not at a, let's say, bank, but they're IT IT people at a school. So they they care. And it's wonderful to be able to serve them.
0: Awesome. And I can hear the passion coming through in your voice. Is that part of the alignment? Is it that it's the care factor?
1: Absolutely. So when you say back to the alignment of what kind of businesses I want to be involved in, um, who do I want to work with daily, what kind of mission, you know, and so, and and it's constant. So it's, you know, and so the opportunity arises and we we are my So my last company um, before this Contexty where, you know, I said, you know, Channel 7, Caltech, blah, blah, blah. If you think about it, we we were using the same technology stack, big data, cloud, AI, and mostly, or well, not all of it, was based around um, ads, helping these companies do more targeted, personalized ads to tell, sell stuff to people that they don't need, right? <laughs> so you take that. So it's not like I'm perfect. I've always been like, but it's this constant improvement in your life, right? Where you go, yeah, like this talks to me more. Where Yes, we're using, I love technology. I love innovation. I love, you know, cutting edge stuff. But actually we're using it for good. We're using AI for ethical reasons. We're using big data in, in, in a safe way because, you know, the school holds the data, it's the data that's already the school. So we're not, you know, passing it around or selling it or anything crazy like that. Not that we were at Contexty, but we hear all these bad stories, right, of what people are yep. doing with data. So, yeah, absolutely, um, it's this constantly moving closer to your truth. And so absolutely, when, when the Sassian opportunity came up, and I've, I've, I've been working with the founder for, for roughly four years as a – I've been coaching him um so it just made a lot of sense where i like like yeah with my go-to-market skills um we can create a lot more um brand awareness noise and and build a kind of culture that's worthy of this mission and so hmm. um let's do that so that's yeah what, that's the journey i've been on for Love the it. last
0: 18 months and again, I can just see that it's such a great fit because of how much you line up when you talk about it with such certainty as well. So it's, it's great to hear. Mm. Tell me, you've talked about this throughout, whether you've referred to it as flow or uh, zone of genius or superpower. What's your superpower, Sid? What's my superpower? Yeah.
1: Um, I think I'm highly empathetic. So... So, and I think that's different to an empath being, you know, someone who takes on other people's pain. Uh, it's not that. I won't sit there and dwell in people's pain, but being empathetic um, means I'm quick to, you know, and, and maybe this is because of the journey that I've been through. Maybe this is because of the, you know, cultural diversity that I've got. So speaking, of, you know, multiple languages outside of English and 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 so you start getting a sense of people come from different perspectives, right? And so that, you know, my superpower, that empathy of going, yeah, you're trying to say this, you're trying to say that, you're missing each other. I'm a, a good glue in between. So often I've described myself as the glue between people, technology and change because I've been in technology, innovation and entrepreneurship for many years, but I can't put two lines of code together. I'm not a technologist. I'm a people person. So if you say what's my superpower, it's people. I really believe I've, you know, I've, I, I, and, and, and the more I say it, the more I, have to become better at it, right? So it's one of those yeah. self-fulfilling prophecies. And that's why I care to think about how do I help others understand what I understand around what creates impact and context and people and you know, mirror, whistle, compass and all those things. And that's why I, I've, I've gone down a path of creating content and language and frameworks because I was like, yeah, it's no good me just saying I'm good with people and it's instinctive. How do I deconstruct that so that I can teach it to my kids? How do I teach it to my 70 year old immigrant parents who are both still working? God bless them. Right. Um, And, and, and have to navigate society and politics, you know, in, in, in the way they, what they do. Um, Yeah. So, so I'd say my superpower is people and empathy.
0: Love it. Great answer. Where can people find you, Sid, if they want to know more about Sassian or they're looking for a great business coach, CEOs and founders, right? Where can people find you?
1: Sure. So, um, Sassian, you can find us, of course, at sassian.com. So, it's dot ncom And uh, with me, look me up on LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn. So, it's, you know, you can see the spelling of my name on this, um, uh, Sydney Manassian. And, um, yeah, love to connect with, uh, you know, anyone because I'm, I'm about people. So, yeah, if, if there's any way I can be of value or assistance, happy to
0: awesome well you've been massive value and assistance on this chat today sid passing on all your wisdom and everything you've been able to overcome and how you've been able to do so thank you so much i appreciate it
1: thanks for having me and good job with uh, what you're doing uh, with the grief code and uh the the podcast and um i think you're also serving a massive need in the market so good job and keep going
0: thanks mate. appreciate it cheers